Washington Regional high-tech community. You know, you guys fascinate me. You do things that other people won't do. You take risks that other people won't take. When you get excited about a program, I've been working with a number of you over the last 10 years, 15 years, you get excited about things and you make them happen even when other people don't. You don't accept other people's answers for what you want to hear, and you sometimes get so committed to an individual product and offering an idea that you're willing to just about give everything up in order to make it happen. I think that's fantastic, and because I've got a background in social science, it makes me want to study you really hard. So I stand before you today as an individual who is a disciple and a bondservant of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God put him into my life. He created this world, took him down to the realm that we live in so that we could have this relationship with him. And I want to keep it really, really simple for you today. There's only two things. There's only two questions that I had to answer to come to that conclusion. The two questions I had to answer were, do I really totally understand myself completely? Do I have what it takes to understand myself as thoroughly as I can? And do I understand my relationship with God and what God wants it to be? So let me tell you about that. God created the universe so he could have a relationship with me. He paid the price for me to have the relationship with him. And then he set it up so that I could learn what it was, what that relationship was going to be. And when he got all done with it, what I get is a relationship with him that is going to last forever and is going to be so cool, it's beyond my comprehension. Now, I'm over 55, so I can say that the word cool. I came from the olden days when tweets and we treats were things that Rock and Robin said. CDs were things we invested in. And if you wrote on somebody's wall, you had to answer to their parents. If I talk to my kids today about my faith and my relationship with God, I'd have to say something like, it's so tight, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so I want to tell you these two things that happened to me. Before I do, I've got to get two things off my chest. Two things. The first one is, there's truth, and there are things that we accept as true. Ten years ago, I got upset about people using words that didn't apply. I heard a story about a car engine that evolved into something else. And just a couple of months ago, I saw a show on TV where a building, a manufacturing plant had evolved into a museum. Well, that building didn't go through some aberrant cellular um, reconstruction using meiotic and mitotic division to create little buildings that then eventually evolved into a museum. Somebody built it that way. So it's important for me to say that truth is really important. In the 1800s, it was true that there were 11 planets. When I was a kid, it was true that there were nine planets. 
Then there were ten planets. Now we know that there's only eight planets. What was truth was that there always were eight planets. And there's another one on that. When I was a kid, the smallest particle of mass known to mankind was an atom. Then it was an electron, a proton, and a neutron. Today, it's a quark and an lepton. So if a quark and a lepton are the two smallest particles, does that mean that back then it wasn't true? No, they always were. What's truth is truth. That's the way it works. So when you get to that point where you understand that there is truth and there are things that we accept as true, you start wondering about the real truth, what it really is. Number, number two, I've got to get off my chest. You don't have to be stupid, ignorant, or unaware to be a believer. You don't have to be. Look around the room. There's a lot of believers here. These people aren't stupid, ignorant, or unaware. To the believer, this is what science is. Science is the study of how God put the universe together and set it so it would run by itself until he came back to shut it off, which at the rate we're mucking it up probably will be fairly soon. So what we have to understand is that science and faith, people who say that, that, that science and faith are exclusive, they miss the boat. Science has faith-like things in it. I'll give you the simple one first. What's the square root of four? Two. What's the square root of negative four? Two I. What's I? I, well, Ron, you know, if you take two negatives and you multiply them by themselves, they get a positive. So we have to have something that comes up with a negative when it's multiplied by itself. So we're going to create this thing. We're going to posit this thing that's called I because it's the imaginary square root of negative one. When multiplied by itself, it's a negative one. Sounds like faith to me. I got to accept it as true. And if you want to get away from the simple math, let's get back into quantum physics. There's a thing called a quark. We were just talking about it. In order for the math of quantum physics to work, the radius of a quark has to be zero. Okay, so the smallest piece of mass known to man has a radius of zero. Not close, so close to zero it's going to be zero. Mathematically, it has to be zero. Well, if it's zero, that means that mass has no mass at all. What's foolish now? What should we believe? Well, in the first century, this guy named Paul was talking to some people at Corinth, Corinth, and he wrote this. Now, Corinth at that time was kind of a combination of Silicon Valley and Hollywood, all rolled into one. In 1 Corinthians 3.18, here's what Paul told the people, people over there. He said, the, he said, the guard against self-deception, each of you. If someone thinks he is wise in this age, let him become foolish so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this age is foolishness before God. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and the Lord knows that the thoughts of wise are futile. Believers might look ignorant to some. But the reality is, is that we know that when we get there, when we reach that second realm and with the Lord, everything's going to become clear and complete and real, and the truth will be known. And it's going to be awesome. In the meantime, we're studying what he did down here to put the thing together. We call that science. I think that's really important. So, 
Back to the two lessons that I wanted to learn. The first thing I had to learn is what about myself? What do I know about myself and what can I not kid myself about in order for it to be true? Number one, I'm kind of a curious guy. I think I learned that from my grandfather on my dad's side. The day before he died, my grandfather was laying in bed hooked up to an oxygen tank. And he looked at me and he said, I don't understand it. How do I get this oxygen out of this tank for a whole year? And, of course, I'm, you know, scientist. I've launched into cryogenics and how all this stuff works. And I got about 30 seconds into it, and I just stopped and looked at him. And he said, you know, I know you know that I don't need to know this. <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. I want to know. Even the day before he died, he was learning new things. The second thing that I learned about myself, I said it a minute ago, is I want to know about you. I want to learn about you. I could care less what Lindsay Lohan had for lunch yesterday. But what I want to know, when I look at you, I look at you through a window. At the base of that window is the foundation of who you are. What are your values? What are the things that make you who you are? How do you change? What doesn't change about you? Then I have over here on this side the actual things that are happening. Well, the actual things are happening. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. You guys had to drive all the way to get here. You're sitting here. You had a good lunch or breakfast, and, and I noticed that you had a real good conversation. I heard the buzz going on for networking. That's cool. Then there's the circumstances around what's actually happening right now. You had a long way to come. You might have a meeting at 10 o'clock. You might have one at 930, and this guy's got to get done talking for me to get there. So that's the circumstances, and then I have expectations. I once interviewed a young man for a controllership position when I was in the CEO of a job, and I asked him, what's your expectations? And he said, I want to sit in your chair. I said, that's great. You just changed my expectations about you. I'm going to hold you to a higher standard because if you want to sit in this chair, I'm going to demand more out of you. So your foundation, what's actually happening, your circumstances and your expectations, F-A-C-E, that's your face. That's how I look at you. I want to know these things about you. And finally, as a scientist, I always wanted to understand what it is that's unique about us human beings that make us stand out and are better than the other species. At first, we social scientists said that it was we used tools. Then we all saw 2001 A Space Odyssey and found out that chimpanzees use tools. Then we said it was communication. We, had, we have very complex forms of communication, and we found out that blue whales and other mammals have very complex forms of communication. So finally, what we came up with was this thing called second ordering of wants. We have this ability to take everything that we are, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, and social, we have this ability to take everything we have and put that into some sort of hierarchical balance that's ordered based on what that is. Where did we get that uniqueness? Well, in the first chapter of the Bible, when God talked about himself, he gave information about himself to Moses. He said, let us make humankind in our own image, after our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all of the earth, and over all of the creatures that move on the earth. So God created humankind in his own image. In the likeness of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God made us to be just like him. Why? Because he loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us. He gave us what it takes for that to happen. I have a friend, Mickey, who said it like this. He said, you're born with a God-sized hole in your heart, and you spend your entire life trying to fill it. 
So let me pause and ask you a question. How are you filling that hole? In today's society, we have a tendency to think that we can fill it by answering just one of those five things, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, and social. So we concentrate on the mental, we concentrate on the physical, we concentrate on the emotional, and we ignore the other two. It doesn't work that way. The God of Abraham, the God of Ishmael, and my God said to us what it needed to be. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then in Leviticus, he added, And your neighbor as yourself. Mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, and social. That's what it is. So if you're going to be complete... You have to have this balance that puts all of this stuff together in a hierarchical order that you can understand. Let me give you just one. I like to move around here, but I can't. Let let me just give you one more example of that, and it's about this thing called love. In English, we have one word for love, love. In the Greek, there's three words for love, agape, philos, and eros. Eros is physical love. Philos is the love for a brother. And agape is the love for all of mankind. So love is not just an emotion. Love is a condition. It's a commitment that's built on the whole thing that pulls all of this together. If I know one thing about myself, I know that I make a lot of mistakes. Jerry, it's not 40 years. It's only 32. But if you want to know about the mistakes that I make, just ask my wife. She's here. she's the first one that can tell you all of my failings. She knows everything that I do wrong, and sometimes she knows it before I do. But she loves me. And the love that she has for me is based on ability to build this up over a complete set over a period of time. That's what we're working on. And God willing, we're going to work on it for another 32 years. It's getting better all the time. Another friend of mine put it to me this way. He said, when I tell my wife I love her, I don't want to hear her say, I love you back. I want, to hear, I want to hear her say, yeah, I know. I think that's pretty cool. That's a complete understanding. That's what we need to be. So now, enough about me, and how is it that I got this understanding for who God is and what he does for me? And I have to go back and tell a story that I told 10 years ago, just so it can be the basis for telling a few more stories. It's the fall of 1989, I had just taken a company public and had a public merger of this life sciences company that was the world's first manufacturer of an enzyme immunoassay test kit for pregnancy, and we found out that we were violating the patent of our major competitor on a product that was 80% of our revenues. We, the CEO and I sent a letter to the chairman of the board, and we were summoned in front of the board. And when we got to the board and reviewed this, the board said to us, just shut up and go back to work. We knew that when we acquired the company. So we had to make a decision. We came back. We wrote the same letter back to the same board, only this time we copied the attorneys at the SEC, our, our Baker and McKenzie, and our auditors at KPMG. And the, his, the story of what went on after that is the company was eventually shut down, sold, and, and shareholders got paid off. But what happened to me? I was fired. Cleaned house. Got rid of everybody who did that. And so for a year, I'm working without a job. I got a year-and-a-half-year-old son. Terry goes back to work. I'm working for guys taking roofs off of buildings, whatever I can do to get income. The interest rate's 18%. 
And so I walked into church one morning, and I'm a Lutheran. We don't go to altar call. I went up to, I went up to the front of the church, and I said, God, I'm done with this. I need a job. I need to take care of my family. Within a week, I, answered an ad, I looked, got an ad in the paper. The ad said, if you, read German, if you speak German, if you've taken a company public, and if you understand lasers and EDM, heavy, high-tech industrial manufacturing, call this number. You've got to be kidding me. So I call the number, and the number is, I'm not talking to a recruiter. I'm talking to the president of the company. His controller had quit, and he needed somebody now. His, one of his attorneys was my wife's boss. His accountant was the very auditor, the only person in the entire southeastern Michigan area that knew what happened, that could tell him the full story. And I went on at that company to work for a company that was 485 years old, Charmy Technologies, part of George Fisher, one of the best jobs I ever had in my life. Did God provide for me personally at that time? I think so. Okay, now I'm going to fast forward to a couple more things. It went the other way. I got out here. We sold um, trusted information systems. We took them public. We took OTG public. We sold OTG public. And I'm not used to not getting job offers. And I got an offer to come talk to a company about an interview, and I won't name the company. It was a security and storage company. They needed a CFO. I went and met them. It was a fantastic interview. I went there the second time, and I told them the story that I just told you. They didn't call me back for the third interview. And I'm wondering, why is that true? Well, a year later, they were both the CFO and the CEO were indicted for stock option fraud. God closed that door when I thought it was the door that had to be opened for me. And as a result of that, I had a chance to go on and take another company public and recently work with another company. He provides for me all the way. Even that last job that I had working at Mobile Access, this was kind of a selfish prayer. I wasn't working full time. I said, Lord, I need some more income while my son's in school. I'd like one more board position. Within a week, I got an offer to go work for a private company on their board at exactly the number I had been praying for. So you can't tell me that God doesn't work in my life. He works personally. I could tell you stories about hitchhikers. I could tell you stories about the fellowship of the guys that I talk to every Tuesday morning. Every one of those things shows me that God works in my life. Every day. So I, don't answer, I don't ask that question anymore. I wake up in the morning going, okay, what are you going to show me today? So before I close, I want to get rid of one more myth. It's a myth about heaven. You saw the cartoons. Heaven is not a place where you're going to go sit on a cloud, play a harp, and sing song after song after song after song forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's not going to be like that. What heaven is going to be like Heaven is going to be like this. If you're an entrepreneur, think of the best deal you ever closed. Think of that transaction when you sold the company. If you're a scientist, think about that time when you made that discovery, when you found out that recombinant human butylcholinesterase is a cure for nerve nerve gas, just like human butylcholinesterase is. Think about it if you're not a scientist or if you're not an entrepreneur, just as a normal person. What's the best thing that ever happened to you? Your wedding day? The birth of your first child? Take that. Multiply it by 10, by 100, by 1,000. 
and then realize that that's the feeling you're going to have, and the feeling you're going to have is going to be one that will never be taken away from you. I think it's a pretty awesome feeling. That's what heaven is really going to be like. So God provided for us. He sent his son to die on a cross so we could have a relationship with him. He paid the price for that, and he wants that. Now, I couldn't close this without being a social scientist just one more time. For 10,000 years, mankind has been asking the same three questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? We know that in modern society today, the answer to that is, I don't know, I don't care, and wherever I want. I think that if I'm going to be more complete, if I'm going to have a concept of the truth, I need to be right with myself, I need to be right with God, I need to be able to seek the complete truth. So, if Mona Simpson is right, when her brother died, he said a few words that we all should sit up and listen. If Mona Simpson is right, when her brother Steve Jobs died, the last words he said were, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. If I'm right, I believe I know what he was oh, wowing about. And so what I want to leave you with this is this. I hope that what I've said sparks some thoughts inside your head about understanding who you are and who God is. I pray that you'll reach out to this guy, Jesus Christ, who actually is the one who's the path, the truth, and the life, who's going to get us to that relationship with the Father. But I know that the Father loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of Faith at Work. We hope you enjoyed it. I'm Carl Grant. Please follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash faithatworkradio. And for more information on the High Tech Prayer Breakfast, please visit www.hightechprayerbreakfast.org. You have been listening to Faith at Work with Carl Grant. 